From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, January 17th through Friday, January 21st, 2022. A week kicked off by Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday and the defeat of the voting rights bill on Wednesday. It was a week highlighted by the one-year anniversary of the Biden presidency. More COVID questions, more January 6th investigating, another Trump rally, rising prices, empty shelves, and headaches on the Russia-Ukraine border. We're about to embark upon an hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey in Springfield, Massachusetts, Dave Ellswick in Little Rock, Arkansas, Joyce Kaufman in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Tom Hartman in Portland, Oregon, Victoria Jones in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Dahlia Wax in Las Vegas, Nevada. Opinion yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10, the Tonga volcano tied with climate change. An undersea volcano erupted in the Pacific Ocean near Tonga with a force more than 500 times as powerful as the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. It triggered a tsunami and left the Polynesian Kingdom of more than 170 South Pacific Islands under thick ash and severe destruction. It was a doozy that has scientists all over the world shocked by its devastating power and like so many stories of scientific importance, not to mention human suffering, it's been grossly underreported in the news. As natural disasters go, this was a real big scary deal. At number nine, UK politics and Boris Johnson under fire. You think partisan backstabbing and troubles are a uniquely American phenomenon? Think again. What's going on in Great Britain as we speak, sparked by a scandal called Partygate, has the prime ministership of Boris Johnson hanging by a thread. Seems old mop top liked to party way too hardy during the COVID lockdown. His fellow Brits are in a snit, and even members of his own Conservative Party are calling for his removal. On top of the turmoil, some of Johnson's political henchmen are being investigated for using mob-like tactics in trying to keep Conservative members of Parliament under control. At number eight, the Texas synagogue attack tied with crime and violence. An armed man entered a Colleyville, Texas synagogue last Saturday in suburban Fort Worth, taking a rabbi and three worshippers hostage. Another chilling example of rising anti-Semitism in America and the world. Fortunately, 
It ended after 11 hours without bloodshed. To the hostages. Yet another awful incident reminding houses of worship why they must be increasingly vigilant and distrustful of strangers to their congregations, something that goes against the heart of most religious doctrine. This, of course, ties into the larger wave of crime and violence that's plaguing the nation and continues to grow as a pressing issue in the national conversation. At number seven, U.S. relations with China and Russia tied with the Winter Olympics and Ukraine tensions. Military buildup on the border between Russia and Ukraine has become a major threat to world peace and another severe crisis challenging the Biden administration. Meantime, China has its hands full with the forthcoming Winter Olympics, as do reporters and news outlets planning to cover the event during COVID, not to mention the new Cold War. But it seems to be keeping the communists on their best behavior, whatever that means, at least until after the event scheduled to kick off on February 4th and run through the 20th. At number six, voter legislation tied with race relations. Senate Democrats made their case this week for federal legislation to counter a wave of new voting restrictions around the country that they claim mark a modern-day continuation of the Jim Crow era. But they failed to overcome a Republican blockade or get their own members, namely Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, to join ranks behind a change in filibuster rules to pass it. Republicans around the country say the bill was just another example of Democratic Party race baiting to advance its own political hold on power. At number five, the 2022 midterm elections and Trump's role in the GOP. It seems the 2022 midterm elections are in full swing. Actually, they have been since 2020, but now it's 2022, so the politicians and media can more openly discuss them. Meanwhile, from Donald Trump's perspective, as evidenced by his recent rally in Arizona, the 2020 presidential election is still going on. Trump's role in the coming midterms, as well as the 2024 presidential race, remains the focus of GOP politics. At number four, the economy, with a focus on inflation, the ongoing supply chain breakdown, and a diminished labor force. Not much change on the economic front with what's being described as the great resignation causing economists and social scientists to scratch their heads. There are as many opinions flying around about our current inflation as to its causes, expected longevity and potential remedies as there are economists, politicians and pundits out there flapping their gums. But one thing's for sure, if it isn't brought under control sooner than later, it could assure that Joe Biden will be a one-term president. At number three, the COVID-19 Omicron variant tied with education. The pandemic continues to disrupt life in America and around the world with Omicron taking the conversation and concerns to yet a new chapter. Controversy and confusion still rage over vaccines, boosters, masks, and mandates. Health workers are exhausted and the national level of angst continues to grow. Educators and parents are struggling with the burning issue of how to safely operate schools during this ongoing crisis. At number two, the January 6th investigation tied with the continuing investigation of Trump and his company by the New York State Attorney General. The subpoenas keep on coming as the investigation gets closer and closer to Donald Trump and his family. The Supreme Court dealt the Trumps a severe blow by allowing the committee to receive White House documents detailing its activities and conversations leading up to and during the events of January 6. At the same time, in New York, the state attorney general is intensifying the investigation to alleged wrongdoing by Trump and his company, and that's just the tip of an iceberg of investigations and lawsuits dogging the former president, whether you like him or not. It's amazing that Donald Trump seems to be able to keep on keeping on during this intense pressure. What a guy. And at number one this week, President Biden's first anniversary press conference, his track record and agenda. 
Republicans claim that the president's press conference was too long, meandering, and incohesive. Some likened it to a dumpster fire. Democrats, however, were kinder, but not that kinder, basically saying the press conference was okay. The divisions that exist between the left and center factions of the Democratic Party, it's not helping their cause. The nation and its representatives in Congress remain disturbingly polarized. All that aside, have a nice day. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's head on over to Little Rock, Arkansas, and a conversation that covers a number of this week's hot topics with the legendary morning host of radio station KDXE 101.1 The Answer, Dave Ellswick. So, Dave, what's the the state of mind of the people in Little Rock, Arkansas, the state that at one time voted Bill Clinton in as the governor and at another time voted Mike Huckabee in as governor? Well, the the political uh, look of, of Arkansas has changed uh, drastically over the last 11 years. Uh, we've gone from Democratic rule to Republican rule. In 2010, uh, Republicans uh, took over as the majority party, first time in the history of the state. And now they have supermajorities in both uh, the House, the Senate, and they control every one of the Arkansas constitutional offices. To what do you attribute this change from, um, from uh, blue to red? Well, very simple. Uh, the Democratic Party left the people of Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is a conservative state. They didn't like what was going on. I mean, they've had uh, senators like Pryor and others who just weren't reflecting what they believed. And... Uh, you know, the old saying that you hear now that uh, I didn't leave the Democrats, Democrats left me. You'll hear that all the, t- all the time in Arkansas. How is the covid situation there? Uh, is it is it raging? Is it not? Are people worried or are businesses being impacted? As a matter of fact, how has it affected the economy? Well, the economy is is coming back here in Arkansas. Of course, covid when the Delta came out, it really had a, a detrimental effect on the economy. Uh, but Governor Hutchinson has done a good job as far as COVID is concerned. We are having a spike right now, just like a lot of states are, uh, with the Omicron uh, virus because it's so highly contagious. But uh, overall, it, those those, uh, those people that are catching it is, has now started to recede and we're starting to bounce back again. What's your position on the air been with it as it has been politicized over the uh, over the couple of years that we've had uh, COVID, and it and, and it has been a hot talk radio topic. Um, what's been your basic stance in terms of vaccines and uh, masks and mandates and all that stuff? As I've told everybody on on the air, I've had all three shots. I had I had the Pfizer. I had the, the two initial shots, and I had the. Uh, uh, the, the 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 last one as well, mm-hmm. uh, but I've always told my listeners that that's what I did for my own health. You know, I've had open heart surgery over the years, and I'm a type two diabetic, so I thought it was in my best interest to get vaccinated. But if they didn't want to get vaccinated, that was their decision about their health. I mean, that's exactly the way I keep it. I don't I don't argue with people or anything about it. It's their decision. Make your decision, but live with your decision. 
one of the major issues this past week, and actually it's been brewing for the past several weeks, and uh, it comes in at number five this week on the Talker survey of uh, topics, is the relationship that we have with Russia and the tension that's building along the uh, border with Ukraine. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm I'm concerned about it. You know, I'm a I'm a baby boomer, so I remember when it wasn't Russia, but it was the Soviet Union. I remember when, of course, they can they controlled all the Eastern Bloc nations over there. I think that Putin would love to have back the Soviet Union and not Russia. I think it uh, he, that's how he would see that he could have more control as the the, the Communist Party of Russia would like to have. Uh, I was concerned with the president last night on his press conference when he made the statement, you know, we're going to hit you with all kinds of pro- uh, financial uh, obligations and things of that nature, and then turned around and said, but if it's only a minor, you know, incursion in Russia, well, it seems like to me if, if another another country crosses, uh, you know, the into another nation without they're wanting you to come in. That's a major incursion. It's not a minor incursion. And I think the president sent the wrong uh, message. I was talking about Ford and Carter in 76. It lost Florida an election when he said that Poland wasn't under communist uh, domination. In fact, I just pulled that soundbite from my show tomorrow. I think he said something to the effect of Poland was a part of NATO. That was a big mistake. Oh, gosh. Yes, it was. You know, it was um, absolutely. It was a big gaffe, and it cost him an election. That was certainly one of the things that led to his demise. Uh, and while well, I have that and the pardon of Nixon. Yeah, that didn't work out very well for him either. Uh, since, we're talk- <laughs> since we're talking about uh, Russia, how about China? We got the Olympics coming up and uh, all kinds of hassles for the people that are covering it. Um, but in general, you know, you mentioned before you're a baby boomer, and so am I. And we all remember Mao Zedong and the Iron Curtain yep. red China, and it was so mysterious. And then all of a sudden, things are thawing. As a matter of fact, the aforementioned Richard Nixon went to China and opened the door. He had the credibility as a conservative to do that. Carter could never have done that. And um, now things are going south with China. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I remember when the the students were marching in the street with their little red book. You remember that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. That was Mao's book. And uh, I'm concerned about China. China is flexing their muscles. And, uh, you know, they got the new hyper- uh, speed missiles that they're developing, they're building their navy, they're trying to extend their political might or political and military might. I think they're going to behave themselves until after the uh, uh, Olympics. But after the Olympics, I think all bets are off. I mean, I remember, I, I forget how many years ago when the, the general over there said, Taipei or LA, which one will you defend? And that still concerns me. So between Russia and China, it looks like we're back in the uh, in the Cold War, only with a whole different Absolutely. set of circumstances. And um, what advice, uh, in conclusion, what advice would you give if you were sitting at the table uh, in the Biden administration, which I'm sure would never have happened, but if you were, hypothetically, what would you tell the president? I would tell them what, what President Reagan said, peace through strength. That's talk show host Dave Ellswick of radio station KDXE 101.1 The Answer in Little Rock, Arkansas. Coming up next, a trip to South Florida and a conversation with talker's heavy hundred personality Joyce Kaufman about what's happening of national significance in the Sunshine State. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Music. 
One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real, I know you're real I understand that you're real Please take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Rap. In this segment, we're going to hear from two major talk show hosts, each in the Talkers Heavy 100, who represent diametrically opposed views of politics and the national conversation. We'll start with the conservative. Let's take a journey to one of America's political hotspots, Florida, USA, where we're joined by one of the radio stars of WFTL heard in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and the Palm Beaches, Joyce Kaufman. Joyce, you're one of the most important talk radio voices in South Florida. So how are things in the Sunshine State in terms of COVID and the economy? This is the freest state in the union. Florida is sunny and we don't have a lot of restrictions. So I'm a very happy camper. Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, what do you see in their future? Are they getting along? Uh, Do you see DeSantis rising to the point that there'll be a problem with Trump? What's your assessment of the future of the GOP in terms of those two major names within the, uh, the ranks of its leaders? Well, it's an interesting question. And, of course, all the rumors are swirling about that uh, they're feuding and that Donald Trump has nothing nice to say about Governor DeSantis. And Governor DeSantis, likewise, has very little nice to say about Donald Trump. But I've discovered with the former president that everything is calculated on his part. And what we may see in two dimension, he sees in three dimensions. So I don't know what he's trying to do because he knows how popular Ron DeSantis is. He knows what a good governor he is. He lives here in the state of Florida. So there's something else going on. And Ron's too smart to not be in on it. Do you think that there's a possibility? And of course, this is all speculation. But hey, this is talk radio. We uh, we create a lot of very interesting conversation on speculation. Uh, do you think there's a possibility that they'll be on the same ticket? You know, I, I would love that. I think that's ideal because it would be four more years of Trump and then eight years of DeSantis if that were to be the way they decided to divide up this pie. But on the other hand, I'm extremely selfish and I want the state of Florida to remain the freest state. And I also, unlike everybody else, realized that Ron DeSantis walked into this job by the skin of his teeth. I mean, we almost had a crack-smoking, you know, a gay escort governor, and we just squeaked by with Governor DeSantis. But he took over a state that was in pretty good condition. Rick Scott didn't mess things up. So taking a country back from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is a task for a giant. And the only giant in the GOP right now, whether they like his personality or not, is one Donald J. Trump. So so you see Biden um, as we um, mark his first anniversary, um, somebody that would require 
a giant to defeat him, even though his popularity is only about approval rating, rather, is about 33%. You see, and I have no idea what kind of a candidate Kamala Harris would be. I doubt that she'd even stay on the ticket. Um, but if Biden were to run, you still think if things were the same or worse, well, well the same, if it's worse, it's different. But uh, if things were to stay the same, that he would still be a formidable candidate for the Democrats? No, I think he's a terrible candidate, a weak prospect, but they really don't have anyone else on the bench. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is not ready to be president. I don't know if he's ready to be a father, a mother, or whatever he is, but definitely not ready to be the president. What I'm talking about when I say we need a giant is the mess that this country is already in Uh. and will probably be in by the end of three years. It will take somebody who could care less what the media says about him or what the political class says about him, but will do what needs to be done to fix the mess. Joyce, the, the voters' rights bills went down to defeat in the Senate, and that, of course, is a victory for the Republicans over the Democrats. What are your thoughts about it? The, the public at large is sick and tired of all of this race baiting, and that's how they chose to go about trying to commandeer federal elections was by race baiting and saying Jim Crow and all these things. And, and even blacks and Hispanics and Asians, they're tired of that. So this backfired major on them. It was never a voting rights bill. It was always a we will get in power and stay in power forever bill. And the public saw through it and gave the courage to their elected representatives Guys like Joe Manchin, who has a very conservative constituency, uh, gals like Kristen Sinema, who's holding John McCain's seat, these people got emboldened because the public said, no, 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 don't do it, don't go along with it, keep the filibuster, and you're really seeing the people rising now. That's Joyce Kaufman, who's heard daily on WFTL that covers South Florida with a giant signal that includes Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and the Palm Beaches. She's been a leading conservative voice in the national conversation for years. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Now, let's cross over to the other side of the country as well as the other side of the aisle. Our guest is in Portland, Oregon. He's a nationally syndicated talk radio star ranked by the Talkers Heavy 100 as the leading progressive or liberal news talk radio host in America. Tom Hartman. Well, Tom, you are probably, if not the leading progressive voice in commercial news talk radio. So I imagine what's happened in Washington in terms of the the Senate and the voting rights bill or bills um, is of great concern to you and your audiences. What are your thoughts at this time? I think it's just uh, a tragedy, frankly, that a a political party that voted 100 percent uh, during George W. Bush's presidency in 2006 to reauthorize the the Voting Rights Act um, that helped you know and worked toward the Voting Rights Act back in its original form and in every reauthorization has now 100 uh, percent said no we don't think that uh, the ability to vote should be um, you know as a high value shall we say I mean it, we are literally the only developed country in the world where you've got to go through a two- or three-step process in order to vote. In most developed democracies, uh, you get a ballot in the mail, or you can show up at a polling place, or both, and it's super easy. You are automatically registered as soon as you turn 18, or whatever the age may be of of that country. It's typically 18 across the world. Um, We're the only ones where we're constantly trying to stop people from voting, 
And this goes back to 1964 and the Goldwater campaign, where they rolled out Operation Eagle Eye, saying that the 1960 election had been stolen and that they were going to hire election monitors. Uh, William Rehnquist was one of them. This is how he made his chops in the GOP in the 64 election. And he would stand outside uh, polling places in Arizona and threaten basically black and Hispanic and Native American people, uh, you know, questioning them and pestering them to the point that they'd throw their hands up and, and, and walk away. In fact, he was requiring, he was reading them a piece of the Constitution and requiring them to interpret it for him before he'd let them vote. Um, so, how does that play out uh, now, though? How does there's a long history here. Yeah, how does it play out now, though, in the red states? Um, uh, was uh, Is this happening now? Uh, a lot of um, people. Um... Well, it, it, they, they've, they've tweaked it. They've tweaked it considerably. You know, in the in the months before the uh, Georgia gubernatorial election that uh, Brian Kemp won by fifty one thousand votes, as I recall, um, a he refused to put fifty thousand voters that had been registered by Stacey Abrams' organization on the voting roll, so those people couldn't vote. And B he purged over two hundred thousand people off the voting rolls, principally in black districts in Georgia, so that when they showed up to vote, they could. And one of them was Martin Luther King's niece and uh, in her 90s, who had voted every year since, you know, forever in that same polling place. And she was not allowed to vote. And that, that one made national news. The BBC did a story about it. So, you know, in the Georgia election four years ago. So there's that. Um, also, the, these, uh, uh, the reconsolidation and reconfiguration of polling places uh, became a big thing starting in the, in the, in the mid-'80s. Um, where uh, if you voted in a white area, like I've done all my life, I've always lived in largely white neighborhoods. Uh, uh, when we lived in D.C., it was probably the only exception to that. Um, I've never spent more than 15 huts in line in my life. I mean, you're seeing this in Lincoln County, Georgia right now. You have a whole county, an entire county you know, uh, that is 30% black, and they went from – and they just fired basically the entire – all the Democrats who were part of the county commission – or part of the voting apparatus, and they shut down six of the seven voting polling places, and the only one they're leaving open is in a largely white area. So people are going to have to travel 20, 30 miles in order to vote, and there's going to be lines, you know, insanely long lines. That's how they do it nowadays. What are your thoughts about, uh, uh, from the um, progressive uh, and the Democratic Party perspective, uh, what are your thoughts about Biden's uh, big speech this week, or his big press conference, rather, this week? I think he did okay, given given you know what we already know about Joe Biden, that he's a stutterer and uh, he's not the most articulate guy. I mean, you know, if you want soaring rhetoric, uh, you know, go for Barack Obama or George W. Bush. But um, but policy wise, I've been very happy with Joe Biden. I think he, I, in fact, very pleasantly surprised. So, I, I, and I thought he did a good job. When you and I spoke a couple of months ago, you uh, completely poo-pooed the idea that inflation was going to be a problem. And and that was if, in fact, he had um, uh, the success with his Build Back Better, which didn't. Uh, what's your view on the inflation now? I Well, first of all, usually when inflation is discussed in American media, it's discussed as if it were an American problem. Sweden has inflation right now. Germany has inflation. France has inflation. Um, Taiwan has inflation. Argentina has inflation. I mean, it's happening all over the world, and it's happening for a very predictable reason in very much the same way it did right after the end of World War II, and that is that you've got a, at least a year of pent-up demand, and people are coming back into the marketplace and wanting to buy products, 
And at the same time, the supply of those products and the availability of those products is, is constrained in many regards, particularly with regard to things made in China. Yeah. China shut down uh, two two port cities. I mean, we're going to have another supply disruption here because they've got this no COVID policy and they, they got a, an Omicron infection. So, you know, you combine the lack of supply with the increase in demand, and that is classic, you know, it classically produces inflation. Um, but I, I'm not concerned that it's going to last more than a year or so. I mean, it's, it's going to wash itself out. And I, I don't even think it's going to take a change in Fed policy. It's just going to take rebalancing our supply lines and people spending down a little bit of the money that they haven't been spending. The other thing, Michael, that's really important that people miss is that, you know, for the average family that spends pretty much all the money that they make, they typically spend it in two ways. They spend about half of it on goods. You know, you buy a new bookcase or a new dishwasher or, you know, a new painting for the wall. And they also buy it on services. You go to the restaurant, you go to the bar, you go to the disco, whatever it may be. I, disco was long ago. I'm dating myself, but you know what I'm saying. Uh -huh. We shut down the services side of that for a year and a half, uh, you know, going on two years now. And But people still want to spend money. It's like, you know, it feels good to spend money. So what people are doing now is they're buying more goods. And this is measurable. I mean, there's, there's economists out here who can point you to the numbers. In the last year, the last, or the last eight or nine months, Goods sales, the sales of products, the stuff you buy on Amazon or the stuff you buy in the store, are substantially higher than they have been at any point in the last 20, 30 years because services are down. And so people are spending their – well, and, and then the, the supply systems are not designed for that increased demand specifically for goods. And so, bang, you've got inflation there. It's going to wash itself out, though. Going back to uh, Biden's speech, he insinuated that the uh, 2022 um, – uh, midterms are, are going to be unreliable. What was your reaction to that? Well, if you've got counties that are shutting down six out of seven polling places, um, if you've got lines that are six, eight, ten hours long, uh, if you've got hundreds of thousands of people being thrown off the voting rolls just in time for the election, um, and if you've got a half a dozen states now that have laws on the books where if the Republicans in power in those states don't like the outcome of the election. They can simply declare it questionable and set it aside. This is how Hungary turned into Hungary. It's how Russia turned into Russia. Um, this is what happens when countries turn toward oligarchy or, or uh, what, you know, more inflammatory term fascism. You know, when they, when they lose their uh, Republican principles, to, to paraphrase the founders. That's the progressive talk radio point of view from one of the leading, not to mention rare, liberal hosts in American commercial news talk radio, Tom Hartman. At the beginning of the show, we count down the 10 most talked about topics of the week, according to talkers. Now let's take a moment and count down talkers' 10 most talked about people of the week in the national conversation on talk shows across America. At number 10, we have Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, and we're going to be talking about him in the next segment. Vladimir Putin tied with Xi Jinping at number nine. Nancy Pelosi is at number eight. Kevin McCarthy at seven. Ron DeSantis, whom I had a very interesting conversation with Joyce Kaufman about in the first segment. Ron DeSantis is at number six. A tie between Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, number five. Number four, Dr. Tony Fauci. Number three, the Attorney General of New York State, Letitia James, who's um, been uh, digging up a lot of um, evidence and um, accusations against Donald Trump in that investigation. 
And Donald Trump himself is on the survey. He's at number two and number one, as it usually is, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. For more information about talk media, this type of information, behind the scenes uh, activities in the uh, radio and uh, online talk industries and television, cable news, talk TV, visit talkers.com. Coming up next, a trip across the pond to get an earful about the wild world of UK politics, followed by the latest valuable information and insights about the pandemic. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Let's join up with our international woman in the nation's capital to learn more about what's happening in the capital of the UK, the executive director of the DC radio company, Victoria Jones. What's going on in the UK with Boris Johnson? Well, Boris Johnson, the conservative prime minister, who I think um, all your listeners recognize because of his really appalling haircuts, which I'm quite sure he gets done deliberately, uh, it really is hanging on by a thread this time. And why? Because the British public, who were pretty fed up with him over his handling of COVID, forgive him everything. Well, it's because of something called Partygate. And that is because number 10 Downing Street, where he lives and governs from, have had a series of parties during the lockdown in the spring of 2020. This was a really tough lockdown when the British people literally could not go and see their next door neighbors or their families in other homes. But number 10 Downing Street was holding pretty wild parties. And Boris Johnson has lied about it, been found to lie about it, and was involved in some of these parties. And so he's in trouble about it now. And uh, there have been a lot of questions asked. And at Prime Minister's Question Time this week, um, the leader of the opposition, who, you know, gets to question him, hauled him over the coals. And one member of Boris Johnson's party quit and went to the other side, literally left parties. At the moment, what's happening is that there's a possible vote of confidence. This is where the entire House 
uh, on Boris Johnson's party has a vote on whether they want him to stay as leader and they're considering whether to do that. But there's also an investigation going on into these parties by a senior civil servant and everybody's waiting for the results of that investigation which will come out next week. And if the investigation results look bad for Boris, that's when there's likely to be this vote. Isn't he also under investigation, for, or at least his government, for other forms of corruption in terms of um, pressuring people and threatening people? And um, I, again, I don't have all the details, and maybe there are none. But is there anything else going on uh, on top of this party gate, so to speak? Uh, yes. Yes, that is all part of it. Because what is being alleged is that as part of this, that um, the people who are there, these are members of parliament, like, uh, like, our, like our members, who are there to enforce discipline in the other members, have been blackmailing them. So conservative members have been blackmailing other conservative members, saying, if you're not loyal to Boris, if you threaten to quit, if you send a letter saying you want this vote of confidence, we will withdraw funding from your area, from your constituency. Now, in Britain, that's not allowed. And that's like blackmail. And that's now being looked into. Yeah, he's been compared to and, and the party has been compared to um, like like mafia bosses and, uh, you know, organized crime. Um, is Boris Johnson such a wild character that he would be foolish enough to have parties when everybody is in a very severe lockdown? I mean, what's with this guy? He's tried to say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know, which, of course, is a great excuse if you want to appear incompetent. Um, and he said, well, number 10 is a very big place, which actually is not true. It's not that big. Um, he is not that wild a guy, but he is a bit wild. But there are a lot of aides who work there, and some of them had parties. On the other hand, there are photos of him going to them. Uh, and his extraordinary defense at the very big party is, well, I was there for 25 minutes. I did not know it was a party. <laughs> you know, it's amazing, these guys. They're all, they're all cut from the same cloth. Newsom had the same issue back in California that led to him being recalled uh, when he showed up at a, uh, a lunch for a, for a publicist or a lobbyist um, when everybody else was uh, you know, up in arms about the lockdowns going on there. So the latest in the UK is that there are no more lockdowns. Uh, have they gone from one extreme to the other? Yes. That should have been a great week for Boris Johnson, announcing no more lockdowns, no more masks, no more mandates, no more nothing. We're treating COVID like the flu. But of course, it's all been overshadowed by this, by allegations of blackmail and mafia and party gate and resignations and things. Uh, so he hasn't got any press out of this. And that's the kind of thing that he likes to do really well on. He's had a terrible week. That's our Washington correspondent, Victoria Jones. We have time for one more, and certainly one of the most important. Let's join up with our medical correspondent based in Las Vegas, Nevada. She's a widely respected physician, heard coast-to-coast -coast daily on the Genesis Communications Network. Dr. Dahlia Wax. We've had a lot of developments now with the test kits coming out and then access to the masks. 
this has definitely been something that we have been asking for since day one. You know, it would be great for people to be able to test because they're going to work saying, hey, I'm vaccinated, I don't have COVID, and we're trying to tell them, no, we think you do have COVID. And then with the masks, we have felt that our masks have been horribly inadequate, and they've been proven to be inadequate, and the N95 masks have been proven to be effective. So thank heavens, finally, the average American will have access to it. Now, that's easier said than done. These masks, they usually last one use. People are going to try to find ways to clean them. To Somebody said put in a paper bag for a day or two to dry out. So there's going to be some evolving science on figuring out how to clean our three N95 masks that we get. But at least when we you know, are greeting the next wave of COVID and there will be another wave. At least we have some test kits. We have some masks in the house. We'll be a little better prepared. Are, are these masks, um, these N95s, do they need to be cleaned more so than the kind of masks that people are using today? That's a good question. So most, ma- all masks technically in the medical setting get thrown out after each patient or after each shift, usually after each patient. So that's not practical. And so we don't really have a method of cleaning them in one's household because it could, it could uh, break down the integrity of the mask. And so if the government's going to be handing everybody out three masks per person, not sure how that's going to go, how they're going to keep track because someone's going to hoard. If you only have three masks, you have to figure out how to make those last a season. Uh, I would probably say, you know, um, try to find your own because you're going to need a lot more. And then, and then if, they're, if they do, if the CDC does come out with a way where we could either steam them or put them through a pressure cooker or something to help, you know, to, to help kill off any pathogens so that they could be reused. But the problem is, is after each wear, they start to lose their integrity. So I find that a lot of people, and maybe I'm even guilty of this myself, just wear the mask so they look like they're wearing a mask and don't really think much about its efficacy. And... I notice when I have gone to doctors, they don't. Their masks seem to be the same flimsy things that I'm wearing. <laughs> I don't, exactly. I, 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 what's the story? Exactly. So my mask that I wore way before COVID, I would wear masks in between patients because I didn't want to spread illness from one to another. Despite my vaccination status, um, uh, are the basic surgical masks. So surgical masks do well because they're for each patient, and then after you wear them with each patient. You throw it out because your respiration has fluid and it, it destroys the mask after one wear. So it's pretty expensive. KND, and K or the N95 masks are a lot more expensive. And so um, even though we may use them uh, um, in the hospital setting, they're not very practical to use in the regular medical setting. That's why you see doctors wear medical surgical masks. Doctors should not be wearing gaiters, sport gaiters, things like that. Those don't have the medical filtration. And I know some doctors do because they're so sick of wearing masks or they got acne or, you know, that, that, that they're wearing whatever. But from a medical standpoint, it should be medical grade like those surgical masks. It doesn't sound like this is going to be a very efficient way to deal with masks. You know, if, if they have to be cleaned all the time and they're hard to get and they're expensive. I mean, it's like, wow, it was hard enough getting people exactly. to, to do the masks before. But but. I don't know. I do get the feeling that people are just wearing the mask for social reasons as opposed to social distancing or for safety. And um, yep. 
I, I have to say sometimes I'm guilty of that myself, even though I'm, I'm very pro-vax, pro-mask, pro-everything. Yeah. I sometimes grab in my pocket and, oh, i got to put my mask on if you're running into the bank or you're yep. running into the supermarket. Well, because it's not in our basic instinct. You know, uh, when I see somebody forget their mask, I, I, I wouldn't accuse them of being anti-mask. Just like you and I are, you know, we support mask use. I support the right masks. You know, I don't support mandates, but, but I support there being a barrier but but again you know it just it's in our instinct to not have something cover our breathing orifices Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually feel awkward when people say i psychologically can't handle it they don't have mental illness you can't cover up a dog's nose or mouth you can't cover up a cat's nose or mouth you can't cover up a baby's nose or mouth they fight it that's in our instinct we've trained ourselves as adults to let something be over our nose and mouth but our instinct is to get rid of it and have no barrier because it lessens the amount of oxygen we're getting. Mm, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I find, I find when I'm um, walking around the supermarket or, or something where you're wearing it for a prolonged time and you're doing physical activity, I, I, I my glasses fog up <laughs> that I can't see what I'm looking yeah. at, and um, yeah. you, you start to want to crawl out of your skin. Um, I, I can't understand. I'll, I'll be uh, uh, frankly. I don't understand how people that have to wear the mask all day long at work, or even doctors. I don't know how they put up with it. And I can understand why people would resent it if they didn't feel it was absolutely proven and necessary to fight a disease. Now, you said something interesting a few minutes ago. You said we're going to have more waves. We're going. This is not over. I hear in the news different people, different doctors saying that uh, Omicron might prove to be COVID nineteen's last stand, its last hurrah, and it's going to become endemic. It's going to be like the flu. We're going to live with it, and it's going to be mild. Uh, you think otherwise? Yeah, I think it is going to be like the flu, where each year we, we will see COVID come back, um, maybe even twice a year. Um, in terms of putting us in hospitals, no, I do think it's getting weaker. But the one bitter reality we learned is not only did COVID affect the unvaccinated, it affected the vaccinated, it affected the boosted, but even more frighteningly, is it affected those that had COVID just a few months ago, which means we're going to have a tougher time getting natural immunity to this. Mm. And we always thought, look, you know, the problem we have with our vaccines is we're not letting anybody get natural immunity. Well, even those who got COVID looks like got Omicron too, which means it is going to come back. Now, in terms of a wave, is it going to be a little wave, a big wave? I don't I don't know, but I do think we're going to see this yearly, and we're going to have to update our vaccines. Our vaccine is obsolete, and that, that's why we got the Israeli study saying, look, you know, people still got Omicron. Well, it's because it's, a, it was, it's like us using a two-year-old flu vaccine. We're using a two-year-old COVID vaccine for a virus that's two years old. Wow, that's a powerful statement you just made, that the vaccine is obsolete. Most people, including yours truly, have gone uh, about uh, uh, the conventional wisdom, if there is such a thing in this, that um, the vaccines are not 100% perfect, but that if you are vaccinated, it lowers your chance of getting it and lowers your chance of, of getting it to the point that you go in the hospital. What you're saying is that... It, it does. It does. By obsolete, and maybe I'm using the wrong... wrong outdated. I think I'm using the term uh, yeah, uh-huh. I think I meant to use the term like it's outdated. So what do you th- our vaccine is uh-huh. was derived from the wild type covid virus. It was never changed for the spike mutations in alpha, delta, omicron. We have been waiting patiently for them to fine tune, which is what made 
the technology so brilliant with these vaccines for them to fine-tune it to the spike proteins. We're using an outdated vaccine, which is why the Israeli study said, look, even with the fourth booster, people got Omicron. So because it's the only shot we have, the CDC saying boost, 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 but the World Health Organization this week said stop it. For healthy people, there's no evidence the booster's helping. Give people a chance that don't have the vaccine to get at least the first series because the primary series has stopped hospitalizations and death hands down. But mm-hmm. we're giving boosters to people with studies showing it's not working against Omicron when you still have countries that are very poorly vaccinated. That's our medical correspondent, Dr. Dahlia Wax of the Genesis Communications Network. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Looking back at the week of Monday, January 17th through Friday, January 21st, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.